Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4ZZZ Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. Coming at you live from 4ZZZ Studios. You might be listening to us on 102.1 FM or Zed Digital in Brisbane or around the country on the Community Radio Network. This is Zed Games, and uh, it's going to be a an entire show for sure. My name is Jack, and I'm in studio with Adrian. Yes. Hello, friend. Hi there, Jack. Hang on. Going okay. Ray's not here. Ray was like, hey, we've got the show sorted, and I'm like, oh, uh, we've got some big changes, but yeah. And he's like, cool, I'm not coming. And I'm like... Okay, sure. We're just going to take the show down with us this week. Uh, for better or worse. <laughs> um, you've got a review later on for Super Mario Party on yes. the Nintendo Switch. Correct. But right now, we have some news. Also, I've got an interview coming up later on, but that's fine, sure. No, I want to speak about the news. Okay, yet. fine. Tell me about... Look, yeah, I will. What are, the, what are the gaming news headlines this week, Adrian? First up is about Rockstar Games and its co-founder, Dan Hauser, which has backpedaled on controversial remarks he made during an interview with Vulture, saying that the Red Dead Redemption 2 team had been working 100-hour weeks to get the game released on time. The comments drew criticism online from game developers, many of whom were former employees of the studio. In a follow-up statement made to Kotaku in response to the backlash, Hauser said that those who worked long hours did so by choice, not because they were forced to by the company. So to clarify, he was talking about the writing team. He was he was specifically referring to four staff members in the writing team who had worked a few hundred hour weeks, which is still not particularly reassuring. Not particularly reassuring. <laughs> and I read a report that the game had an insane amount of voice acting in it. So unsurprising. Like NPCs that have 80 page scripts or something? Like unsurprising that there'd be that much work to do, but it yeah. does sound like uh, the management particularly wasn't too crash hot. A uh, bit of a wild west of writing going on there, you great, might say. Great meme, love it. Uh, thank you. I'm all about the hot memes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a great game. It looks like it's had a lot of love poured into it. Um, but that is like a 100-hour working week. That is something. I'm trying to like think about how much time I have working like 30-hour weeks and how much time you would have working 100-hour weeks. It's and hard it's, enough working a 30-hour week as it is sometimes. It's so hard working a part-time <laughs> job, Adrian. I don't, I don't think you know. But, like, seriously, like, when, when you're working a full-time job and you're trying to do passion projects off on the side as well, um, like, with a lot of people that I work with alongside in Sydney and Melbourne, like, it can be absolutely exhausting and draining to just get that energy above board for those side projects. Absolutely. And so... Working 100, I mean, obviously, when you're working 100 hour weeks, that is the passion project. I would hope so. Mm. Um, hopefully, you're not kind of getting subtly pressured into working 100 hour weeks or you lose your job. That's where the gray area is, hey. Yeah. You know, it's like, is there an expectation uh, in the company that putting in that extra work is what you need to do to get yourself noticed? Mm. And that's a dangerous thing to have to deal with, I think, um, especially if it becomes widespread in the, in the, in the company's culture. So hopefully, um, that's something that gets worked out um, because. Uh, it stops. Hopefully, it stops. That's what I mean. Like, this, yeah. this, this is like a, a, a more of a it's something that happens more broadly in in the industry. Like this is not something specific to Red Dead. Crunch is a, is a hard time. Yeah, specifically, in, in the uh, not even just specifically in AAA development. Like you see, plenty of indie devs have this experience in the lead up to launch of so many so many of these projects. Like indie game, the movie kind of showed that off really really well across a variety of of projects where the staff working on these projects put in an incredible amount of work. And for some of them, these are very personal projects. And it's difficult to try and have that kind of restraint when it is something so personal to you. But when you're working in a corporate environment, in a, like, 
on a triple A game, you would hope that those managers, that the producers on the projects are capable of making sure they're not overworking their staff. I'll um, just never forget seeing a studio um, in Japan, um, I believe it was Platinum, um, just photographs of that studio during crunch period hmm. uh, where the office floor was littered with sleeping bags. Because people would live in the studio. You crunch till 12.30am, you miss the last train, what do you do? You sleep you in the sleep studio. You sleep in the studio, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's not the first time we've had this from Rockstar, so hopefully it's not something we hear again. In other news, a lawsuit between legendary game developer John Carmack and his former employer, Zenimax Media, has been resolved. Carmack, the co-creator of id Software and designer of seminal PC game Doom, tweeted last week that, quote, Zenimax has fully satisfied their obligations to me from the purchase of id Software, and we have released all claims against each other. Carmack filed a lawsuit claiming that he was owed $22.5 million as part of Zenimax's acquisition of id Software. John Carmack's current employer, Oculus VR, is still involved in a complex, ongoing legal battle with Zenimax regarding the intellectual property rights of the technology behind the Rift virtual reality headset. Dude, if I could have an extra $22.5 million on my bank account, holy crap, I would cool, take it. Cool, hot cash. Oh, God, <laughs> that's exciting. I got excited about $500 in my bank account today, and that's something very often. It doesn't happen very often. It's little sure. things in life that, <laughs> <laughs> that count. <laughs> You know, personally, it's- I get excited about the ten, the little ten dollars that I get in my high interest savings account every month. I have five twenty cent coins in my wallet. Amazing, that's my life set. But yeah, um, I feel like this has been uh, a developing story for quite a while. Um, it's been a little bit difficult to keep tabs on, truthfully. Mm. Um, but yeah, like at, towards the end there, where it's like um, Oculus VR is involved with an ongoing battle with Zenimax regarding IP rights. Um, that has also been going that's a completely separate story like that was ju- that's just kind of like a closing remark it's um it's a fun side story look everyone wants their goddamn money everyone wants money everyone wants recognition everyone typically doesn't want their IP stolen yep it's a nice thing to have pretty much um so yeah um that is definitely a single story it is a warning for PlayStation 4 owners. Reports are coming through that an exploit u- utilizing the system's messaging service are bricking consoles, causing them to be inoperable and needing to be factory reset. A particular string of characters appears to lock up the operating system, and it appears that individuals are purposefully sending it to strangers maliciously. Sony is yet to officially comment on the matter, but anyone concerned can change their messaging settings to prevent them from seeing messages from non-friends. So I saw this on Twitter a little while ago where people were saying, definitely go into your um, privacy and security settings on your uh, Sony Entertainment Network account. Um, Head in, go messages. Who can you receive them from? Friends, friends of friends. Hopefully you haven't got a massive friends list with people that would purposefully try and brick your system. Let's just pour a drink out for the poor sod somewhere who has opened up a message from someone with a beautiful avatar that says, hey baby, they open it and it's just got the large string in it that just (laughs) freezes the console and it's inoperable going forward. What a a sad time that would be. What an experience. What a vibe. Um, Yeah, I I feel like Sony's yet to officially comment. I feel like that has been updated. Um... You'd hope that would be a quick patch. Have we, have we got some hot breaking news, Jack, about the, the potential for there to be a quick patch to this 
breaking yeah, console 20, bug? Yeah, 23 hours ago, Sony says it's fixed malicious PS4 message exploit. Uh, we've uh, This is from Ask PlayStation UK. Quote, we've since fixed the issue and it wasn't breaking consoles, just sending them into a crash loop that can be quickly fixed in under five minutes. Delete the message on the PS mobile app because obviously it won't crash your phone. Uh, go into safe mode on your PS4. Use option five and the console should go back to normal. So it wasn't a massive problem. Um, but you have I, heard it here, folks. You are listening to Z Games, uh, the show where we break news from 23 hours ago. Yeah, that's, that is breaking news. Yes. It broke... Tw- I mean, yeah. we're, we're breaking it. it. That's how that it, works. We are. You are on Zed Games. This is 4ZZZ. And um, last week, we spoke with Luke Lancaster about PAX Australia. We did. Um, that is one of the biggest gaming festivals in the country. Um, some would argue the biggest in the country. And um, it's just one part of Melbourne International Games Week. This is a... Um, Something that's been running for quite a while, actually. It's backed in part by um, Film Victoria, uh, quite a few diff- other bodies in the games industry. And a new edition this year is Melbourne Queer Games Festival. And we're on the phone with Luke Miller, who is the um, organiser, I suppose, of um, Queer Games Festival. I guess for people who um, are, are curious or, or ha- haven't really heard about it, Luke, what is Melbourne Queer Games Festival? Well, uh, hello everyone, hello listeners. Hello. Uh, it's basically from the largest festival to the smallest festival, uh, Melbourne Queer Games Festival. It's uh, sort of an extension of the last few years. I've done a list of the gayest games of all time. And this, and every year there's just more and more games. And so this year we thought, how can we take it to the next level? And I was talking to a group of people and we thought, well, why don't we just uh, expand it from gay games to all queer games and put on a bit of a festival and you know, a live stream and just sort of talk about what we've liked about the games and yeah, it's pretty lo-fi and it's mostly online and um, yeah, it's been pretty cool so far. So it, you said that it was kind of mostly online but it is a physical event being run at a physical location in Melbourne, is that right? Yes, we have a, we have a studio partner uh, in the CBD and on the Monday evening we're having a bit of a, a party where there's board games and um, the live stream will be coming from there as well. So it's as I said, it's mostly online, uh, though. So it's quite global. It's almost like um, an art intervention on Melbourne International Games Week, which is very sort of Melbourne-based and um, can be very technical and very programmy and bits and bytes. And we just kind of wanted to bring in a bit of a sort of a global to it, a, a globalism to it, and also a bit of kind of like queer culture to it. So. It's a, it's a bit of an anti-festival almost. <laughs> um, so I guess kind of um, bringing together Melbourne Queer Games Festival, I imagine um, the games would have been the, the biggest part of that. Um, you said that you, in previous years, kind of made uh, a, a list, I believe I heard, of, of some of the gayest games out there. Um, what were some of the things that you heard from, from people in, I guess, bringing the event together, um, from getting submissions? Um, and, and what were some of the things you were hearing from people um, around the time that it was announced, I suppose? Well, people are very excited. So I feel like just, you know, I keep my... Uh, I'm a game developer myself, and I keep my ear close to the ground, I guess, and I feel like queer games are having a real moment, you know, the last... Definitely the last year, but maybe the last two years, and there's all this just amazing work going into it, and it's all kind of uh, underexposed, in my opinion, and we thought, just what's a way to sort of, you know, shine a spotlight on it? Because there are, you know, it's a academic conferences about... LGBT games and trends in games and there's a lot written about it but we just really wanted to kind of just take a moment and just go here are some games and we're all about the games so uh, just what I guess has surprised me especially is uh, 
uh, trans games, I think, are really strong this year. So we've got games from all letters of the of the rainbow. Um, but the ones that have stood out for me this year have definitely come from trans developers. Cool. So, um, I, I'm, I guess probably should jump into some of um, the games that, that have been submitted that people can look forward to um, as part of Melbourne Queer Games Festival because when I checked in with you um, earlier about this today, you were kind of interested in the idea of shining a spotlight on, on some of these games that might not otherwise have space at like or, or like space in people's social media feeds on Facebook and Twitter or even at like a place like PAX Rising some of these games that, that are from diverse creators that are a, a fair bit smaller um, what are some of the, the standouts I suppose or some of the more interesting or quirky um, games that, that you've seen submitted for um, Queer Games Festival well we, we were hoping we thought if we hit 20 we'd be doing really well So, but we got 50 so it's just kind of blowing us away a bit and it, there's quite a wide range so uh and you know they vary in i mean they're all made with heart but i guess to be honest some of them do vary in quality so there are some student games which are almost like 30 seconds just little fun little things up to like full-on double a titles but you know like um we've got all walls can fall which is the sort of future techno game set in like the gay bars of berlin 50 years from now and uh you know it's just Technically, it's quite an accomplishment. Like um, the path, like if you like the technical side of games, it's all about path planning. But the student games have just uh, been really interesting to me this year. So uh, one that I was playing the other day is called um, "Saving Me from Yourself," and uh, in it you play a therapist who uh, your job is to give the okay for someone to transition. So they come to you and you have to ask them questions. And at the end of the session you can sign the form or not to, to allow them to transition. And it's, uh, it, there's autobiographical elements to it, but there's also kind of a bit of an edge to it. Like it's a bit, there's a bit of anger to it as well, but it's just really, I don't think I've really seen in a game for quite a few years. And uh, so, you know, it does, uh, the games do sort of go from that, that gamut from like really sort of, you know, warts and all, you know, up to something that's really polished. And, but I'm interested in that kind of, a bit rawer the better. So, which is something I really wanted to bring into, you know, because a lot of people play games, but they're used to playing really polished games, I think, and just I want people to kind of be aware that there's really some really cool sort of indie stuff happening. Well, I mean, does that come a little bit from your experience um, as part of Up Media doing stuff like um, Escape from Pleasure Planet and um, My Ex-Boyfriend the Space Tyrant, I believe? Like, these games that um, that came out that... I feel like we're well known within the queer space, but we're maybe a little bit left of field, or um, maybe not to the scale that that I don't know the general gaming audience is um, used to. Like, is basically, I'm asking is has, how much has your experience as a game developer kind of played into what queer games festival is? Yes, well, I know what you mean. I mean, do you find that there is there's almost a, a big gap between uh, sort of what people think games are and what they can be. So, you know, people expect, you know, a Call of Duty or a, like a, a really big AAA title. But a lot of the more interesting stuff is happening, you know, single developers in their bedrooms kind of thing, uh, which is my, that's what I, my experience. But I find the stuff that's uh, a little bit odd and a little bit out there. To me, I enjoy that much more than, you know, for example, the latest Spider-Man game, which is, you know, they're great games and everything, but um, there's just something real about these smaller games, and they just, I feel like it's definitely something we see more and more of the future. 
I, I definitely feel that, if I can just um, chip in there, in terms of, you know, you spoke to video games that are more that are more rough, kind of, you know, they, they're able personal. to carry with them something that's more personal, like mm. they're, they're not as polished as a AAA game. Um, and I think that games that do get down to brass tacks like that are able to really tell a story extremely well, because you don't have any of that, um, I guess, high production value muddling the story. It is as raw as it possibly can be, and I, I found that those types of games are the ones where I've had perhaps some of the most intimate experiences, um, not only with the, with the game and its mechanics uh, and its story, but also I've been able to get a sense of what the developer really meant to convey uh, with that game and, and with that story through gameplay, which I think is amazing. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the idea that a game can be autobiographical, I think, would be news to a lot of people, but there are a lot of autobiographical games out there. And then, of course, I guess um, what what I find thrilling about some of these games is they are deliberately autobiographical, but then sometimes there's an element to it where you go, do they, is the developer aware that they've put this in? Like, there's clearly, it's speaking to something about them, that they have something they need to say, and maybe they're not fully aware that they're saying it but it comes out loud and clear in some of these games and so it's just a really beautiful there's one called um the boy is, uh, this boy is a monster and monster in the game is a sort of a grinder type app and mm. um you've, it's sort of dating uh different monsters and you have to come out to them at some point oh, that, wow. you're, uh, that you're trans or whatever and, and it's just like where in that process of dating do you tell them uh and it's just kind of you know, you can't, you cannot, you cannot not play it and come away just, you know, with your eyes open a bit more about, you know, the real world. I guess it's an experience you can't have anywhere else, really. Like, yeah, with, with yeah, like, absolutely. it's amazing. Mm. But then at the other end, there's just um, something you mentioned mechanics earlier. So I guess queer games, one of the features of them, uh, they they're very narrative based because I think queer themes lend themselves to storytelling. Mm. But there is there is like a, a really like if I can get technical for a little bit. There's this sort of really subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre about like what is queer gameplay, you know, and uh, like Robert Yang, who is a, a queer game developer from New York, who uh, he's quite famous for making uh, gay games that have like a gay mechanic, so okay. uh, gameplay mechanics, and like um, the Tea Room is is one of his famous ones, or you know, uh, I, what's a good way to put it into words? I guess it, so, it's you know, something I, like, I'm. Oh, yeah, but, it, it's difficult to try. I, I appreciate that um, it, it is difficult to try and convey it in a way that doesn't seem. Uh, I don't know if crass is the right word, but like stick shift is probably one of the most accessible ones where you're trying to get a car up to speed and you have to shift gears. But to be able to do that, you need to stroke the gear stick a little bit. Right. But I was going, my mind was going there as you were but saying But it also that. inadvertently yeah. kind of speaks a little bit to the experience of, I believe, police brutality, if I'm not wrong on that, Luke. Yes, that's right. So that's based uh, on the 1960s in Midwest America where you, uh, they call it cottaging, but we would call it, I guess, cruising or uh, visiting a beach. And, um, you know, so the, so gameplay, so rather than pressing buttons, the, the the example you used is that you have to stroke a shaft with your hand kind of mm. thing. It's just stuff like that is just kind of capturing a sort of gay experience in gameplay, which is kind of interesting, I guess, from like a developer point of view. Like one of the games in the festival is called One Button uh, Nipple Golf, where... Nipple um, Golf? Was that? Nipple Golf. Wow. So the, the uh, course is um, composed out of an image of somebody's torso and the hole oh. is where the nipple is and you have to knock the ball around on his torso and it's just it's so kind of goofy but it's 
hilarious. That's so ingenious. Uh, I've just seen a, a photo of that in the studio, and that is yeah, that's that's incredible. Like you, that's an experience you wouldn't get anywhere else other than in games. Exactly, exactly. And there's one, another one of Star Catchers is just this charming little game. It's only like a minute or two where you you play as two boyfriends, and you have to sort of use the way you look at each other to guide an object around a maze. And so it's kind of like it's just kind of weirdly romantic. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at yeah, it's it's like in terms of the graphics, it's like two uh, humans uh, design like wireframes who are looking yeah. around, and you can see their line of sight being pointed at a, at a heart. Absolutely. And is there anything? I mean, it just it melted my heart. <laughs> you know, it only takes a minute or two to play, and it's very simple to play. But just the whole idea that you've got two boys and you know that kind of like connection they have with each other is how you get through the game. It's a really charming, lovely idea. I know? think the idea that you know games can be uh, more than the sum of their parts, and that less can be more, is is very true, especially for, for for games like this, which which can carry such weighty themes with with such little production value, which is incredible to see. One hundred percent. So, Luke, on top of the games as well, um, I believe because obviously the online part of it is a big focus. Um, there's also an opportunity for people uh, who typically are like YouTube or Twitch streamers, um, like th- those sort of personality or influencer types, to be able to kind of get involved in the festival. Um, as far as like what it's looking like right now, is it going to be a not not like a, a 24-hour live stream, or is it going to be like an eight-hour on each day? Like, w- what is the I guess timetable or schedule of um, Queer Games Fest for someone at home per se? Um, what does that look like right now? Well, absolutely. So, as I said, it's the world's smallest festival at the moment. Uh, so, there'll be a live stream Monday because we all have we all have day jobs. So, uh, it's all and we're all volunteers. So, the stream will start Monday evening at about six thirty and go till about midnight. Um, and we'll just be playing through some games. We've got a, a bunch of streamers lined up, and they've all picked the games that have spoken to them. And uh, every half hour, we'll sort of uh, drop between a different game and we're just trying to give a spotlight to the game and people can be in chat and there'll be a bit of a party down in Melbourne and the details will be up on the website at some point but um, and but more importantly the the playthroughs will live on online because so, it's, it's a very small scene and it's very spread and we call it the Melbourne Games Festival but really everyone involved is kind of spread all over the planet and so we kind of want it to not necessarily exist just for that four hours, that four or five hours. We actually want it to kind of uh, let people find it at their own time over the next 12 months. So absolutely, there'll be live stream Monday, and it should be a lot of fun, but uh, it'll be on YouTube uh, to live on after that. Awesome. Um, so if people are wanting to find out more, uh, the website is mqgf for melbournequeergamesfestival.com.au. Is that the, the one place people can go to find out more? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, the schedule will be up in the... We've actually been swamped by the games. Like, we were expecting 20, we've got 50. So we are a day or two behind putting up the schedule. But um, you can sign up to the mailing list and you'll just get notified when the stream goes live. Awesome. I'm very excited about it. Um, I imagine plenty of people um, here in Brisbane, across the country uh, as well, uh, for Melbourne Queer Games Festival, 22nd to the 23rd of October 2018. Uh, Luke Miller, thank you so much for coming on to speak with us. It's been awesome. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. You're listening to Zed Games, and uh, look, I, I love a good party. I enjoy parties in general. I'm a party person. I'm a people person. Do you, Jack? Uh, I hide in my bedroom in parties, honestly. I'm not about it. But, but that's fine, because you can do that. Sometimes I do. With Super Mario Party. Oh, damn. Oh. So I have been playing Super Mario Party lately, and hey, it's a party. 
<laughs> it's a party what a zinger. that you might want to return to if you're a fan of the Mario Party series because this is somewhat of a return to form for Mario Party. Because the Wii U one was not really that great. And a couple ones before that. Look, really? they changed the gameplay mechanics so that no longer were players moving around a board separately, rolling their own dice. It was a car You're in the bus. In the, in the Mario Party great. bus. The battle bus. You're in the battle bus. <laughs> where we drop where we boys. Where we drop boys. Yeah, no, none of that. There is no Battle Royale mode in Super Mario Party. <laughs> what there is in Super Mario Party is the ability to roll your own dice and move around the board on your own. Revolutionary. Right. Autonomy has returned to <laughs> Super Mario Party. No longer are you a slave to the vehicle of partying. So what's new? Well, I mean, that's, know, that's back, but what's new? What's new in Super Mario Party on the is... Switch. You know, it is on the Switch. So you've got motion controls, which I know were in the previous Mario Party games on Wii because you had motion controls in that one too. This one comes with a few more features, though, for those who aren't familiar... Oh, for those who are familiar with the Mario Party experience. Uh, this one has what's called... Toad's Rec Room, which allows you to get two Switch consoles. Is Rec Room spelt R-E-C or W-R-E-C-K? Like- You're not going to wreck it. It's just R-E-C, mate. <laughs> no wreck it rough references here. Ah. So you need two Switch consoles. You need two games to play it, which does kind of increase the barrier of entry. Yeah. But there's some really neat games that you can play where you're kind of like shuffling two Switch consoles together, trying to match up pieces of the game. Uh, so there's one mini game with bananas that you need to match up, um, which it's, it's a concept. I'll, I'll give it that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a mini league baseball game and a few others which is just it's really cool because i don't think i've seen uh double switch gameplay be done before you know you can play on the one switch console but this is like two switches which you're putting on a tabletop for and literally matching together like dual screens double rainbow all double the way switch all the way it's like the it's like the new dual screen huh the new nintendo ds it's just two switches wow jack what a concept what a but for those who are looking to get stuck into some traditional mario party gameplay this one has what you're looking for and it's a much more streamlined feeling uh i guess sort of snappy mario party it feels sleek i feel it is very i was playing very sleek no, I wasn't playing. I was, like, seeing a little bit of it uh, when we were in Japan out in Osaka. And Jason and Liam and you were playing it, I believe, a fair bit. We were playing it a bit. And I was... I love how Jason just constantly got back and forward because he was just always rolling zeros, I think. Yeah, so in, in this one, there's some there's some dice uh, shenanigans going on. You, you can actually... Dice. You can recruit allies. And, this, and yes, depending on which character you play, uh, you actually have different dice, which aren't traditionally just your 1 to 10 dice, mm. um, or die, rather. Uh, you've got uh, different mechanics that can feature on those dice, such as losing coins if you, if you flub the roll, um, but that dice might give you a higher chance to roll um, something even better. So it's so, a risk versus risk reward. reward. You know, system, it is yeah. Mario Party. It's going to be all about risk and reward. And there's going to be the eternal debate of whether or not there's any skill involved in a uh, Mario Party game that's always going to rage. Uh, and it's not going to stop with this one. If you're looking for a skill-based game where the actual... Mario Party person, should be the last place you look for that. Don't come here <laughs> if, if you're trying to flex your skill on people. If you're coming for a good time, though, it is a good time. And what I enjoyed about this one was the mechanic with the allies that you can you can recruit in this game. So because everyone does have unique dice mm. in this one or die i'm just messing up my plural sure, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, you can actually recruit other characters to join you in the game as you play and you can use their dice as you well you can use their dice but also they'll add their dice to your role when you recruit them making them extremely That's valuable right. assets and they'll also help you in mini games so if you die if you fall down a hole in a mini game your ally controlled by the AI, uh, AI the artificial intelligence in the game Thanks will actually stick around letting us know what AI stands so for so i've just got a game explain to you all right <laughs> um, if you didn't know what ai means now you learnt 
on Zed Games. Beautiful. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. We are talking about Super Mario Party. I, I did see, like, when Jason was playing, he he was the one person without an ally. So people were rolling yes. with, like, two die, and yes. he'd be like, uh, crap. Yeah. Zeros constantly. The allies are quite overpowered, I find. Um, but they do make the game what it is meant to be, which is a crazy, uh, rambunctious time. Full of great fun and pretty cool mini games. Actually, there are some pretty fun mini games in this one. You can finally live your best Karen life and bring your Switch to a rooftop party and have a party and share the joy with those Joy Cons in Super Mario Party. It's out now on Switch. It is at digital and retail. What a very tight, tight review because that's actually the end of the show. It is. Damn. See ya. <laughs> and we're, we're out. Um, we're going to be back same time next week, whether you like it or not. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.